So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 2, verses 42 through 47. And then we'll look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 23 through 25. We're going to talk about this morning connecting with God's church. Everybody say connecting with God's church. I know that most of us, and you're probably like me, I'm in the habit of saying my church. Come go to, we, come go to my church, our church. But in reality, guys, it is not our church. It's God's church. And because it's not our church, it's God's church, then he gets to tell us how to do church. Or how not do, but how to be the church. Can I get a witness? I have to say that because so many times, particularly in the church in America, we, we look at church like a, something that we're shopping for in a magazine or, or something that we're shopping for in a mall. We want certain things, and if it's not this way, then I'm jetting. If the music is not like this, I'm jetting. If, if, if they don't do it this way, I'm getting out of there. When in actuality, we should be praying, and I ask every individual who ever comes to become a part of this church, the first thing I want to know, really the first thing I want to know is, did the Holy Spirit lead you to be a part of this ministry? If the Holy Spirit led you, by God, we want you. If he did not lead you, if you came because your mama was a member here, then don't come. Because you're not going to be God called you to be. I want every person in this church to be led of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so, so, but, but again, when you don't have that mindset, you think that well, if, if my church don't do it this way, if my pastor don't do this, then I'm, I'm mad and I'm going to sit up here and let you know I'm mad. Guys, it's not our church. It's his church. Everybody say his church. So in Acts, the second chapter, we see here a, a scenario that's happening uh, after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was ushered into the earth realm. Uh, we see uh, the effects of that, of that infilling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we see the church operating in what we call authentic community. Let's read verse number 42. Are you there with me? Acts, the second chapter, verse number 42. Ready? Let's read together. It says what? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to what? Prayer. Verse 43. Let's go. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Keep reading. It says this. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now watch it. It did not say they sold all of their property. It said they sold their property. Some, some assumed that this was a communistic type of communal a group where everybody sold everything. It says they sold their property. They sold different property. You see over with Barnabas, I think it was, sold land, valuable land he gave to the church. Uh, and then the church was very uh, much appreciative of that. And apparently they talked about Barnabas' sacrifice so much so that Ananias and Sapphire decided they're going to sell something and lie about it. And when they lied to the Holy Ghost, what happened? Drop dead. Man, I tell you what, if that kind of anointing was in the church today... Every time you lie, somebody go out. How many of y'all know lying would go out the window? When you lie to the Holy Ghost, you just, just drop dead. All right? So, 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 so they, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. He says what? They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared 
their meals with great joy and generosity. 47 for good measure. It says what? Praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Talking about connecting with God's church. Now look at our main ideas that we got for you right quick. First, first and foremost, church is so much more than a weekend service or an event that we attend. Let's read again. Everybody say, church is so much more than a weekend service or an event we attend. Now, I will tell you, as I was surveying our class, uh, my, my Golden Vessels class on Wednesday at 12 noon and, and my men's class last Wednesday, um, as I began to survey the culture and the climate of the churches that we grew up in, what we discovered was a lot of times it was a weekend event, something that we attended. And we felt like if we went to church, hey, we're good. All I got to do is go to church on Sunday and I come back next Sunday and I'm good with God. I'm good with my parents. They don't, they're not on my back any longer. I went to church. Well, when we talk about church, guys, I want you to understand it's far deeper than just attending a service like this. This is good. We should do this. We get exhorted. We, we, we get taught. We worship together. We praise God together. Uh, but it's deeper than that. Everybody say it's deeper than that. It's not just about what we get out of it, but how we can belong and contribute. Everybody say it's not just about what we get out of it, but how we can belong and contribute. I got news for you. And as I told you before, every last one of us in here who profess to be a born again believer, each one of us has been endowed with spiritual giftings. If you are born again, then God has graced you with spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts have been graced and given to you so that you can help build the body of Christ. So that means if I have something that the Holy Ghost gave me to build the body, but I'm just sitting on it. If all I'm doing is coming to the event on Sunday and not engaged and contributing to the work of my ministry, that means that I am not fulfilling my divine purpose. Are y'all still tracking with me today? Third thing, your church isn't actually your church. It's God's church. I think we need to read it out loud on purpose. Everybody say it again. Say what? Your church. Let's make it perfect. Say my church. It's act, isn't actually my church. It's God's church. And we get to be a part of something that he started thousands of years ago. He, get, he, he graced us to be co-laborers together with Christ Jesus. So, so as we go through this rooted study, there are, there, there, there are seven uh, rhythms uh, uh, in life that, that we need to begin to embrace and incorporate in our own life if we're going to be effective disciples. Effective discipleship involves seven rhythms. Can we go through those right quick? And we, we, we're going through these in our studies. And the one reason why I'm excited about this is because this is the DNA of our church. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Now, I, I will admit to you that we're not there, but we're going to keep on teaching, preaching, and exhorting so that these seven rhythms are being, amen, lived out in, in, in our everyday lives. You know what a rhythm is? Any of y'all got rhythm? I mean, how many of y'all have rhythm? Somebody said, we all do. No, we all don't. So I got, I got a little rhythm. So, you know, I, I can kind of do it. Like 
that's all I'm going to give y'all. Okay, that's all I'm going to give y'all. But a rhythm is a flow. It's how we do life. It is, it's, it's a part of our habitual mode of operation, the, your, our MO, right? Can I get a witness? So, so we, these seven rhythms should be a part of our everyday lives. The first one is what? We, we got on, on the outline is, is what? Daily devotion. If you go back to the 42nd verse of that uh, second chapter, the text says something that I think is, is very interesting. We should make sure we cra- grasp it. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. Now, when you are devoted to something, what does that mean? That means that, that I am sold out to it. That means that it is a priority in my life. Jesus should have a preeminent place in your life or the preeminent place because the word preeminent means first place and first authority. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, wherever I go, whatever I go to do, I should run it through by my, by, by my Savior Christ. Is, is this in line with your will? Is what you want me to do? Devoted. In other words, preeminent place means that I don't ignore him and only consult him when I get in trouble. And if the truth be told, Many Christians' prayer life is, 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 uh, is, is all thrown off because many Christians only call them when they need something. But men ought to always pray and not lose heart, right? So they, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Scripture is the very word of God. Through it, he equips us with all we need to learn about him and live a life that's pleasing to him. A daily rhythm of reading, meditating on, and applying God's word to our lives is key. Go to 2 Timothy with me, chapter number 3, verses 14 through 17. One that we read quite often, but I think I'm, I'm going to keep reading until we get it. All right? Somebody said, well, when are you going to stop preaching that, Pastor, until we all get it? When we all get it, Pastor, it's probably not going to happen until the rapture comes, so I'm going to keep preaching it. 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. Let's look at verse number 14 from the New Living Translation. We're going to start there. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his young son in the ministry by the name of Timothy. Timothy was serving in a pastoral. He was young. Most theologians say he was shy in nature, but he was pastoring in this church. And Paul writes this letter to encourage Timothy in his pastoralship. Can I get a witness? Watch the text. Ready? Let's read. But you must refrain I'm sorry, but you must what? Remain faithful to the things you have been taught. He's telling Timothy that because Timothy's mom and grandmama were, were, were women of faith. Watch this. You know they are true. You can trust those who taught you. Verse 15, ready to read. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So Timothy's parents brought, brought him up. His mother and grandmother especially were, were women of faith who poured in the gospel truths in their life. It, it's important for us as parents to spend time nurturing and cultivating our children's faith walk. You should spend time talking to your children about faith, things of faith. Okay, The church is here to help you. But the church should not be the primary disciple, discipler of your children. It should be you as parents. Are you with me? We do our CK Kids ministry. We do our Real for Christ middle school, high school ministry. We do it. We even do our nursery on Sunday morning. We're teaching them. But we are a part of the puzzle, not the exclusive whole part. 
You as a parent have to spend time pouring into your children. Sometimes we get so concerned about what they've been taught in school or what's out there in society. But let me tell you something. If you teach them at home what's right, they don't have to hear from somebody else what's right. If you teach them at home what it means to have your identity in Christ, what it means to be a man, a woman, a boy, and a girl, then then I don't care what society says. I'm going to go with what the word of God says. Are y'all with me? Can I keep moving? I'm keeping moving then. All right, watch this. Watch this. Look at this. Look at this. Uh, verse number 16. This is what I want you to do. 16 and 17. Pay attention to this. Daily devotions is really important. Watch this. Ready to read. All scripture is inspired by God. Stop. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write the canonization of scriptures. Are, are y'all with me? All scripture is what? Inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. What makes us realize what's wrong in our life? The word of God. So isn't it interesting that the word said it makes us realize what's wrong? How many of y'all have ever been guilty of doing something you thought was right, but it was wrong? Can I see some hands raised? I mean, it felt right. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. You remember that song? If being right means I never what? (laughs) I'd rather be wrong than right. That's what the song says. But let me tell you something. Sometimes, listen, listen carefully. Sometimes your flesh will tell you something is right. Your flesh is saying, go this way when God's word says, go that way. And so we have to be made to realize that the thing that we're engaged in is not right. And the thing to do that is, is God's holy word. I got to read it again. Watch this. It, it's. It says all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It does what? It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So we have to be taught to do what's right. So the word of God is, 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 is the thing, is, is, is what guides us and keeps us in line with God's will. Okay. Verse 17, and we got to move. God uses it. What is it? The word, the scriptures, the Holy Bible. God uses it to do what? prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Question I have for every last one of us in here and those who are watching by line via, via live stream, if God uses it, the word, to prepare and equip us to do every good work, but if 80% of Christians have no word time, my question to you is, is 80% of the church unprepared? Based on this, it is. And that's why we're not seeing the impact that the early church had. When they had a, a, a meeting and 3,000 souls came to Christ, the problem that we have today, particularly with the church in America, is, is Christians aren't into their word. They don't have daily devotions. So you're doing stuff you think is right, but it's wrong. And you don't, in some cases, you don't know that it's wrong because you're not in your word. But a lot of cases you do know it's wrong because you do have enough gumption to come here every Sunday. And I'm going to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Are you with me? So this is very important because what they feel and what their political party says 
what their mama and, and, and the family says. And they allow that to take a preeminent place over what scripture teaches here. And God says, my word, amen, should be take first place and first authority in your life. All right. So daily devotions. Everybody say daily devotion. Second, second thing that we see, if we're going to have effect, if we're going to have the second rhythm that we want to see in our life is, is, is prayer. We've got to have a, a rhythm of prayer, praying to God. One of the most important elements in, in any relationship is communication. Prayer is just that, engaging God in a conversation. Sharing our hearts with him and spending time listening to his voice, both individually and in community. I'm going to read three passages. If we can get there, get it, Jason. Now I'm gonna, I'll keep moving. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Instead, do what? Pray about everything. Well, the scripture tells me don't worry about anything. If I find myself worrying, then there's something that's out of whack. There is something that's unhealthy about my relationship with the triune God. Because he told me not to worry. But if I am worrying, that means I'm outside the will of God. Oh, brother, pastor, that's a little bit too deep. Now, everybody worries about something. Listen, you can be concerned about something, but worry goes beyond just being concerned about something. The Bible says, don't worry, but pray about everything. All right, so, so and, and, and I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, there are things that happen in all of our lives that, 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 will, that will lean toward us worrying about stuff. But what, here's what I've done. In my life, and Maria and I have done this, we said we're, we're going to decide that either this is true or it's not. And it can't just be true in certain situations. Well, brother pastor, you know, I know what you say about that, but, but you, still, you don't understand because I lost my loved one. Oh, you don't understand, brother pastor. They fired me unjustly, and I got a right to hate them. No, you don't. See, either this is true or not. It can't be situational. Don't worry about anything and stay pray about everything. That's conversation with God. Everybody say conversation. Matthew 26 and 41 says this. Matthew 26 and 41 says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is what? Weak. Keep watch and pray. A lot of y'all don't have a problem watching because you knows it. But you watch it. You're looking at everything. Yeah, you... You, you can tell what, 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 what Sister Brenda got on and what kind of shoes she got on, where she got it from. You, you, you watch. It says watch and what? Pray. So prayer should be a part of it. Uh, Colossians 4 and 2. Watch this. Colossians 4 and 2 says this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Let's read it again. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a what? thankful heart. So, so part of our rhythms is daily devotions, prayer. Number three, repentance. Jesus saves those who believe and call upon his name. Saving grace is once and for all 
because we've been justified by faith in Christ Jesus and also a continual invitation to repent of our wrongdoings. Guys, we got to evaluate our lives to see where we're where we're on point and where we're not on point. So to repent means to what? Turn away from. Okay. I turn away from that thing that displeases God and I turn to God. When I turn away from it, I got to run to something. Turn away from the sin and run to God's word. Run to God's plan for your life. Okay. So we got to repent. Everybody say repentance is a part. Listen, you, you, this church and no Christian, no Christian community will be effective in reaching the lost and being a, a, a changer or, or an advancer of kingdom agenda if we all are, are doing stuff on a consistent basis and that's outside of God's will. If the church is full of people who are, who are sinning and there's no remorse, there's no repentance. It's going to cause us not to be effective. One of the things that you hear from a lot of unsaved people is, I don't want to go to church because people in church ain't right. Well, let me tell you something. None of us are right in and of ourselves. But our righteousness is based on what Christ Jesus did, not how good we are. Now, we ought to live right. We ought to live for Christ. We need to live a life of holiness. Holiness is still right. So, But when you find a community of believers who don't have a, a moral compass, who don't have uh, the mindset to repent of sin and turn away from it. And we are doing the same thing that the world is doing. Our, our ability to, to minister and share with them is going to be less than effective. Okay? I can't get drunk with you every weekend and then tell you about Jesus. Man, you need to come to Jesus, man. I know him. And you think, what? Did you know him last night when you were. Everybody say lifestyle. Matters from the pulpit to the back door, lifestyle matters. Romans 12, remember verse 2 give your bodies a living sacrifice, for that is truly the way to worship Him. There are many people on this earth, many people in church who never really worship God because their lifestyle is not indicative of someone who's had a born again experience. Okay, so repentance is important. Uh, uh, not only repentance, but we the third, the, the fourth rhythm is sacrificial gift, generosity. Sacrificial generosity. Go to back to Acts two, uh, verse forty four through forty five. Sacrificial generosity. Giving demonstrates our dependence on God. Amen. We acknowledge that all we own has been given to us by Him. If I've been bought with the price, all right. The Bible says you, we are not our own. We've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belongs to him. So if I belong to God, wouldn't it be uh, uh, not much of a far reach to say that everything I have belongs to him? If I belong to him, whatever I have belongs to him. Is that right? Everything I have belongs to him because I am his dunamis, his slave. I am a slave to Christ Jesus. And so whatever I have is available for him to utilize to advance kingdom principle because in truly, truly it's, it's his anyhow. Right? He allows me uh, what uh, we would call stewardship over. In other words, I have use and possession of it, Stacey, but I don't own it. Most of y'all know, you, you heard me share with it, that I spent 17 years in the banking industry. And in the banking industry, I had the occasion to, to, to go meet my customers. And, and many times I would go out when we had a, a push to, to, to go and 
uh, open a certain number of accounts. And so my job and all of our jobs, when you're on a sale, we're in a sales culture, they'll, they'll set goals for you and you have to go and try to get more deposits from your customers. Now, when, I, when we went and got those deposits from those customers and placed them in our bank, then those because they were in our bank don't mean that we owned it. We had use of it. We could even loan that money out to somebody else. But ultimately, when that customer came back for their money, they want to be able to, to have their money. Have y'all ever heard what a run? Y'all know what a run on the bank is? We, we had this happen just recently. I think one of the banks out in, in, in California. A run on the bank is when all of y'all show up at the same time and want your money. <laughs> when all of y'all show up at the same time and try to get your money, it ain't there. That's why the bank fails. Because what, what does the bank do? They take your money. And they loan it out. All right. And that's why they have to have some stringent guidelines because everybody can't loan money and get it back. You can everybody can loan money, but everybody don't know how to loan it with the skill set to get it back to evaluate. Is this dude going to really pay me or, or, or is he just in front of me swearing for God? I swear for God, man, I'm going to take care of you on the fifth. The fifth rolls around. They don't call you. The tenth rolls around, you don't hear from them. Now, you've been hearing from them all the time while they're trying to get the money. Now, all of a sudden, their phone don't work. Can I get a witness up in here? Can I get a witness of somebody who's had some relatives and some friends who, who still owe you? My point is this. The run on the bank takes place because the bank is taking your money and utilizing it to do other things. They may have invested it in government bonds or they may have loaned it out to somebody else to get money off of your money. But ultimately, it's not the bank's money. It's yours in that sense. Can I get a witness? And you, we, the bank has use of it, but they don't own it. God has graced us and given us, amen, things in life. Giftings, talents, resources, money, possessions, but those things should be utilized to advance kingdom agenda. We're just stewards over it. We got the use of it, but we don't own it. Can I get it with it? We have responsibility over it, but we don't own it. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Let's read on. It says what? They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. This is called sacrificial generosity. Sacrificial generosity means that I go beyond what's convenient. I mean, come on. If, if I got, if, if you need $2 and I get, and I, and I got $5,000, what is $2 to me? That's, that's sort of, I mean, it's good that I gave it to you, but th- that's not really sacrificial giving. To me, sacrificial giving is, is giving that moves you. You know, one of the things that we had to stop doing when we were, when we were um, doing the Linda Hand clothing giveaway is, is, you know, when, when you, when you said we, we, we would do this come up to the school year and we would give away uniforms but one while we were giving away uh, adult clothing too and one of the reasons why we had to stop it was because some people would go and bring stuff that had been sitting down in the back of somewhere for 40 years smelling like mothballs all wrinkled up and they really what they were doing just finding a place to clean out their closet and they gave away stuff that, and I know y'all said, well, you ought to be appreciative or whatever. No, we're talking about being a sacrifice. And one of the things we started doing was, even when we do uniform, let's do it new. Amen. If you're going to give some clothes away, give away that one that still got a tag on it. 
that you brought from Macy's when you were in New York. Give her that one that you brought at Nordstrom over in Dallas that cost you $550 that you've never worn, but were you willing, are you willing to give that away? No, bro, Pastor, this one that I, I know I ain't going to be able to get back in. I'm, I, I, I don't gain 50 pounds since I had this thing, so. <laughs> sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. sacrifice. See, learn how to sacrificial giving means that it moves me. It, it indicates that I'm willing, God, when you say do a thing, no matter how inconvenient it may be, time-wise, money-wise, no matter how uh, it may, I may want to hold on to it, but I'm willing to release it because you told me so. Sacrificial giving. Next one we're going to look at is what? Serve the community. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. This is critically important. Uh, this is something that, that again, in this rooted class, you're going to have opportunity to serve. Your, your, your individual small group will be taking time to serve. We're going to serve together. We're going to fast and pray together. Oh, fast and pray. I said fast and pray. I said fat. Some of y'all's bodies like, oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus, fasting. Fasting and praying. Do you not know that the Bible says that there are some demons that ain't going to be moved and they ain't coming out except they'll be fasting and praying. Some stuff you're dealing with, and it ain't going to move until you start fasting and praying. Okay? So, 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 uh, serve the community. We're called and equipped by the Holy Spirit to share God's love by participating in the ministry of Jesus. And he has given us, amen, the opportunity to work alongside him to influence our culture, to influence our society. Guys, here's what's happening. The devil is trying to get society to influence the church. And in a lot of cases, he's done a yeoman's job in getting the church to disregard what God's word says and take up what society is saying. When it comes to the definition of marriage, there are many churches who say, okay, God, we know what your word says. We know, we, we know the example uh, uh, in scripture. And again, listen, I love everybody and I want everybody, everybody's welcome in this church, but we're going to preach the, we're going to preach what the word of God says. Are y'all with me? Uh, but, but many churches have said we're going to acquiesce to what society says and we're going to acquiesce to what's unnatural. Yeah. Romans talks about unnatural affection. And get, listen, what we got to understand is, is that we love everybody, but we love them enough to speak truth. Okay? I love you. I'm not, I'm not running away from you. I'm, I'm, I'm here to, 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 to walk with you, but I cannot violate truth. I'm going to allow the word of God to be the definition of, of, of what's right and what's wrong in society. But many churches have acquiesced to what society says is right at, in efforts to keep people from coming. If nobody don't come, I'm standing on truth. Are y'all with me? So I'm not into crowds. Okay? I'm not trying to just get people to come. I want people to get saved. Because if you get saved and really know who Jesus is and his word takes a preeminent place in your heart, then, then you'll begin to let that word define what's right and what's wrong. Okay? So we got to serve the community. And lastly, worship. Everybody say worship. As children of God, it's important to consistently set aside time God has done to, to give of ourselves and living a life that's, that's, that's showing that a transformation has taken place inside of us. So, so let's talk about the value of community for a second. Everybody said the value 
of community. Well, when we talk about community, we're talking about a grouping, a group of people. The transformation is likely to occur when a believer has, has truth applied to his or her life while in what we call interdependent, uh, interdependent posture. Uh, posture is how you sit, right? Posture is how, you, how, you, how you, you've shaped yourself. You, you've, you've sit. When I say posture here, interdependent position, okay? Interdependent. Now we know, and we've talked this before, about this before, an interdependent posture is different from a dependent or independent posture. A dependent posture is unhealthy because as when you're in a dependent posture, that you as a believer find security and worth in another person rather than in Christ. Are y'all tracking with me today? Dependence on another person is actually a form of idolatry. Now, now when I say that, I don't mean that, that you can't have trustworthy people in your life who you do life together with. But what I'm saying is when you, when you gather your value and your worth and your existence and who you are based off of some other person, then, then you've made them an idol God. When you say I can't go on living without them, why can't you? The only reason why you can't go on living without them is because you made them an idol God. So we dependence, a, a, a dependent posture, amen, is an unhealthy posture. Can I get a witness? And so we got to make sure that, that, that we don't find ourselves in that position depending on a person rather than Christ. Can I get a witness? You're seeking something from that person that only God can give you. So that's a dependent posture. The other one is also equally unhealthy, which is an independent posture where a lot of people find themselves in. Many of y'all in here today say, well, you know, Brother Pastor, you know, that's good. I, I like the class and everything. But, you know, I just I, I like to do it by myself. I've always been a loner. Uh, and I, I really don't like people let you down. Yes, people will let you down. But let me tell you something. I'd rather love like God told me to love and to embrace people and be involved in, in, in community that, than to not do so and, and displease my God. Because how can I help the other person if I never get engaged with that person? How can I help bring them along and how can they help lift me up if we only see each other at the Sunday event? Hello? There are people who think that, okay, I got, I got to do this by myself and I don't want too many church people around me. Well, first of all, we're not talking about church people. We're talking about Christians. Everybody say Christians. Born again believers. So that independent posture is equally unhealthy because that believer attempts to live his faith alone. I got Jesus. I don't need nobody else. I know the song, what it's trying to say, but you do need Jesus and people. Everybody say, I need Jesus and I need people in my life. Not just any people, but born again believers who will Greet uh, to agree to do life together in authentic community such that when I'm down, they can pick me up and vice versa. Can I get a witness? So that independent mindset has to go. A lot of people have the misconception that, that the Christian faith is private. The Christian faith is personal, but it's never private. Everybody says personal, but it's never private. In fact, the more personal the faith is to a believer, the less private that faith becomes. If a person claims his faith is private, he has adopted a view that is contrary to God's view. From the the time that he dealt with Israel to the building of the church, God has always gathered his people in groups. 
God has always gathered his people in groups. The nature of the word church in the New Testament dictates that the Christian faith is not private and that God designed the maturation process to occur in the context of what we call interdependent relationship. In other words, I'm not dependent and I'm not independent. But interdependent means that you got something I need, I have something that you need that can help all of us grow in our Christian walk. Amen. The word for church language is ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. That word literally means the called out ones. The called out ones. So we talk about community, Pastor. You throw that word around quite a bit. What is it? What is community? Community literally means common unity. Everybody say common unity. Therefore, a community is a group of people united around a common belief system, a common set of values, and a common mission. Go to Philippians, the second chapter, we'll be right quick. Philippians 2 and 1. Are you still tracking with me? Talking about connecting with God's church. Now, again, hear me carefully. I'm talking to somebody here today. Because somebody here today says, well, you know, Brother Pastor, I don't want to get so close. Brother Pastor, you know, you know, I'm funny like that. Yeah, you are funny like that. You're peculiar. But what I'm trying to tell you, you got to get out of your funniness. You got to get out of your aloneness mentality. How do you know, Pastor, how can you say it so strongly? Because I was there. I was that guy. I'm telling you, I I know what it feels like to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm good by myself. No, I'm not good by myself. Because if the Bible tells me, remember what 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says? It makes us realize what is wrong in our life. You, for as long as you thought that it's okay for me to be by myself, and we, me and my wife and my children, we're going to do it ourselves, we'll come to church, Pastor. But don't ask me to do very much more than that. I will tell you, you cannot be discipled or become a disciple maker when you don't connect with people. Because the very essence of discipleship and discipling somebody means that I have to spend time with you. And you have to spend time with me. Are y'all still with me? And if we don't spend time with other believers, how, pray tell me, can we do what the word of God told us to do? How are we gonna, Jesus said, go and make disciples. But, you, but you're going to do it your own way. Right? You, you don't need people to disciple. I'm here to tell you, God says it's time for the church to get real about disciple making. Look at the text. Watch this. Ready? Y'all ready? Paul writing. To the saints at Philippi, let's read. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort of? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Keep reading. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with what? In one purpose. Sound like you, you can't do that by yourself, can you? Can you do that by yourself? It says loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. The thing that unites us as Christians should never be our ethnicity. All right? I, I, celebrate, I tell you before, celebrate ethnicities, but the common thing that brings us together is the blood of Jesus Christ. All the stuff about a black church and a white church. Ain't no black church and white church. It's God's church. And anytime you allow your ethnicity to trump the preached word of God, then you are out of order. It's the blood. 
Everybody say the blood. It's the blood that unites us. Glory to God. Watch this. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Next verse. Let's go. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Stop, try, stop trying, to, try, trying to do stuff to impress others, right? Be what? Humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Verse number four. Let's read it. It says what? Don't look out only for your own interests. So how am I going to take an interest in others if I never connect with others? If I never go beyond surface talk? How's the weather? Oh, boy, it's been hot. Boy, it's been hotter than hell. You know, last, the last month, man, 100, 100 degrees. It's been hot, hot, hot. You don't want to go to hell. We got to talk a little deep. Oh, LSU lost last night? No, they won. They beat Gremlin. Oh, Alabama lost. Texas beat Alabama. Oh, my goodness. Colorado beat Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Get my theme music. Uh, yeah, man. What, 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 are you, what, what are y'all eating for dinner? Now, listen, if we're going to be disciple, we got to go a little deeper than surface talk. And I, if the truth be told, Elijah, if, if you and I don't know each other, don't spend time together, there's only so much below the surface I'm going to go with you and, and vice versa with you if you don't really know me. How many of y'all just go out in the, in the mall and start telling all your business to a perfect stranger? Anybody? If you do that, we need, you need some counseling. Let, let's, I'm going to set you up. Most people don't just go and talk, start telling their story to a complete stranger. And most of y'all wouldn't come to church and share the things you're dealing with with people who you don't really know that well. But if I spend time with you, and if I begin to know your heart, and when I begin to know what your purpose in life is, and when I begin to know that, that you are seeking God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you got a word of wisdom for me, then I'm going to be more apt and, and willing to share with you what's happening so I can get some prayer support from you. Amen? All right, so, so community literally means common unity. The strength of community is only as strong as the strength of what brings people together. And in the church, the thing that brings Christians together is Jesus Christ, him crucified, buried, resurrected from the grave. The blood of Christ is what brings us together. Are y'all with me? Not our denomination. Listen, denominationalism, even by the very nature of that, of that word, almost means separation. Listen, it's not about what denomination you're in. It's about whether or not you are in Christ Jesus. Are y'all tracking with me today? So what, what, what does community do? Three things community does, and I'm, I'm going to my seat. Number one, community perfects. Everybody say it perfects. Uh, go, go to Philippians 1, 3 through 6. What does community do? It perfects. Glory to God. Oh, Lord Jesus. Philippians 1 and verses 3 through 6 right quick. Let's look at that. Are y'all still with me? We're talking about connecting with God's church. Thank you, Jesus. Text says, every time I think of you, who's writing? He's writing to what? The church. Let's read together. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Next verse. Whenever I what? pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Now, I want to ask you the question. When was the last time you prayed in your prayer life for other believers that are part of your family of faith here? Or is it all about, Lord, I need. 
Lord, you know this stuff coming up. I need this. And uh, God, God, take care of my family. He says here, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with what? Joy. Next verse, let's read. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Next verse, what? And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The context for Paul's certainty and confidence that God will continue the good work he began in the believers is the reality that they are all in community together. While God is the one who is progressively perfecting the Christians living in Philippi, God is using their partnership in the gospel to bring about Paul's transformation. The word for partnership in the original language is the Greek word kononia, which is translated fellowship. Paul believes in the power of God through community to transform. Uh, it's it's kind of like this. I, I, I was reading this uh, little article. He's talking about uh, uh, a psychologist by the name of Martin uh, Seligman. He did some research in the 1960s. And Seligman uh, and his team placed a dog in a cage designed to give electric shocks. And when they hit that cage with a jolt of electricity, the dog jumped and yelped and, you know, and barked real loud. They waited a few minutes and they shocked the cage again. And the dog repeated the jumping and the yelping. But after several shocks, something strange started to happen. The dog responded less and less as he became completely hardened to the impact of the shock. The researchers opened the door to the cage and shocked the dog, thinking that the dog would leave the cage when he was shocked. But the dog stayed in the cage. He was numb to the point of complacency and what they call learned helplessness. Are y'all with me today? In the same way, sin hardens and leaves even believers deceived and trapped while the door to the cage is wide open. Jesus already died for our sins but we still trapped in it. But I noticed his, his, the researchers continued that experiment by involving another dog. Talking about community now. They involved another dog, a dog that had not been hardened by the electrical shocks and, 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 and the learned helplessness of the cage that the other dog had been trapped in. And the researchers walked the new dog into the cage and then they cage with an electric shock and that new dog jumped, yelped, barked, and ran quickly out of that cage. Well, the first dog, seeing that there was a better way to live, quickly followed the freedom that, he, that was already his. It takes community. It takes us living in conjunction and seeing others walking with the Lord, seeing others, amen, fulfilling God's destiny for their life. And we begin to see that we can do it also. If he did it for Carl Jones, he can do it for me. If he did it for Nyla Pollard, he can do it for uh, Elijah Tate. Guys, community is important. Are y'all with me today? So community perfects, amen. It perfects. It, 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 it allows. It also, number two, community protects. It protects. Everybody say it protects. When the author of Hebrews challenged believers to stand firm and continue their faith, he pointed to the necessity of interdependence and encouragement. Just like that dog, amen, when he saw somebody else walking in their freedom, again, 
he, said, he decided I can walk in that freedom too. When somebody else encourages you, say, listen, man, I've been through the same thing you've been through. I, I experienced the same thing, but here's what I did. When I turn it over to God, when I begin to do these A, B, and C in my life, and in my marriage and my relationship, I saw a transformation. Then now that encourages the other person that if he did it for you, he'll do it for me because God is not a respecter of person. Can I get a witness? So community perfects. Community protects, amen. It, it allows us to be protected from wayward sin. Because if I'm living in community with you, then I can't go out there and do just whatever I want to do, and I know I'm going to see you, amen, on Wednesday. We're going to talk about, hey, man, how's everything going? Hey, man, have you, uh, did you have any, uh, 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 be truthful with me, have you, have you thought impure about another woman this week? Uh, what's your challenge, man? What's, what's going on? And you, and you in, in turn, we talk about those things, too. One of the things Maria and I do quite often is, is she, she asks those piercing questions. Those, how many of y'all have wives who ask piercing questions? Okay. Matt got it. I, I see one brother with his hands raised. You know, guys like, sometimes we like to talk about the things that are, that are lighthearted, right? Is that right? I, I, on, on fallow ground here. But she'll ask some questions that cause me to have to think about things. Things that, that in, in, in honesty, Bobby, I'm, I'm, not, I'm like, well, I don't really want to think that deep. But she'll, she'll, she'll ask me questions to make me think about things that I may not have thought about and maybe what's driving me to do or to think a certain way. And even though I don't like it when she do it, but once I get it out, I, I realize that it was good for what ailed me. And you and all of us need somebody in our life who asks us some tough questions, some questions that we don't really want to talk about or think about, but we need to think, talk about and think about. And that doesn't happen if you're not in community. So community ends up, everybody say, perfecting us. Because you got other brothers and sisters walking in concert with you. And lastly, community preaches. Everybody say it preaches. Everybody say it preaches. What are you talking about, brother? Go to John the 13th chapter with me right quick. John 13. Verse number 35, and then we'll look at John 17, one of my favorite passages to quote, John 13 and 35. And we are out of here, I promise you. John 13 and 35, and then we'll look at John the 17th chapter. Watch this. It preaches. What do you mean it preaches, Pastor? Well, whether you realize or not, all of us as believers are preaching a sermon to those who are in community, out there, out, out there in the community, because they are watching how you do life. So the question is, what kind of sermon are you preaching? Oh, but Pastor, I ain't, I ain't never preached nobody. Yes, you have. You shouldn't realize they're watching your life. They're seeing how you do things. Watch this. Your love, can we read together? Your love for one another will prove. Now, what did I tell you the world is last week? The world is what? Society apart from God. Jesus said that your love for one another will prove to the world, society apart from God, that you are my disciples. Well, the question, well, not really a question, but is it any wonder that the world don't believe that we're his disciples? When they see the church just, just cutting each other down, talking about each other, just, just, just division all over the place. Go to John the 17th chapter. Hurry, hurry, hurry. John 17, and let's take a look at verse number 20. John 17, verse number 20, and I'm, I'm finished, I promise you. Look at what it says in, in verse, says, can we read together? Read, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also 
for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That is, that's you and I right there in the Bible. He says, I'm not just praying for my immediate disciples, but everybody who will believe on me through their message. 21, let's read. It says what? I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world, oh my goodness, the oneness of the body of Christ would be a testimony to the world, society, apart from God, that God the Father sent God the Son. Next verse, let's read, 22. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. 23, yeah, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them. Did y'all hear that? The unity of believers will be the thing that preaches the loudest to the world that God loves them as much as he loves his son. That God loves society who don't have a relationship with him. He loves them just as much as he loves his son. What's gonna, is it going to be our big buildings? No. Is it going to be the, the melodious songs that we sing on Sundays? No. Is it going to be the programs that we have? No, you can feed hungry people and poor people all your life, but if they don't see unity and love, transformation won't take place. Now think about that for a second and think about your own life. How much unity are you displaying to the world at large as you connect with your gospel community? We got something to answer for, church. And God is telling the church today, in America especially, get it right. Stop the division. Because division speaks of, amen, no God, but unity in Christ Jesus. I can't unify with somebody who says Jesus is not Savior. But I can with someone who says, okay, I may believe a little bit different about this over here, but that's not going to destroy our unity in saying Jesus is Lord. So community preaches what does it preach? It's that Jesus was sent by the Father. It preaches that God does love the world as much as he loves his son. So, connect with God's church. Everybody, everybody close. Father, we thank you.